0: Today, I'm returning to my series on 1 Peter's, I mentioned earlier. Verses 10 through 11 are my text today, but I'm going to back up and begin in verse 6 because it's all of one piece. Verses 6 through 9, I told you, it was all one sentence. Verse 10 does begin a new sentence, but you need to hear verses 10 through 12 in the context of. The salvation that is being proclaimed in Jesus Christ. And what Peter then goes on to say about that. Begin in verse 6. And this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time. The Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things Which angels desire to look into. I asked a question in the context of the previous verses How do you believe in one you have not seen? This passage is closely connected to that and continues to give an answer to that question. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you have not seen him, you believe. To confirm this, Peter points out that the Old Testament prophets longed to see Jesus too. They waited and prayed and believed that God would indeed send the Messiah. Their message was that the Messiah would come according to God's plan. And the ministry of the Christ, the ministry of the Messiah, would be characterized by suffering and glory. But what they knew was was partial, was revealed by the Holy Spirit, and was anticipatory. They had not seen him with their eyes, and yet they believed Well, that means that we live in the light of the full revelation of Jesus. We live in a light that is greater than the Old Testament saints. In fact, we live in a light that is greater than during the life of Jesus. You see, God has always had a pattern of his revelation Of telling beforehand what is going to happen, recording what did happen, and then explaining what had happened. And we live in this context of not only having the foretelling, the record, but now the explanation of the coming of Jesus Christ, his purpose suffering and his glory so to a suffering church in Peter's day and to you today I want you to hear this message that will drive us to this point having not seen him you believe in him based on the inspired word of God I could put it even more strongly that has uh, you, the way it's printed in the, on the back of the bulletin has, it has information. But let me take out one word and put it this way. Having not seen him, believe in him based on the inspired word of God. That has the force of exhortation to you of how it is that you believe in one you have not seen it is based on the inspired word of God. Let's begin by looking at what Peter says about the Old Testament prophets. He doesn't use the word inspired, but I'm going to use that today. The Old Testament prophets were inspired by God to tell what was going to happen. Peter is talking about the fact that God prepared his people beforehand to know that Jesus would come to anticipate it, to long for it, to believe it. Even though they never saw his day, the prophets were were preparing the people of God for this greatest moment in all of history. That means that the gospel of Jesus Christ didn't come out of thin air. It wasn't something that was a surprise to God. It wasn't something that God slapped together at the last instant because something went awry when Jesus was born and people didn't believe in him. Kind of funny, they saw him and they didn't believe. Well, no, this plan of salvation has been God's plan all along. Not just in human history, but even before human history. It was God's plan to send Jesus Christ into the world to save sinners. And God, in that plan, thoroughly prepared and purposely presented the coming of Jesus Christ beforehand. That's one of the commentators says that, uh, that draws attention to this purposeful revelation of God. God thoroughly prepared it And purposely presented it. And that's what God was giving to the prophets of the Old Testament. They prophesied of the grace that would come to you, says Peter. And this grace is nothing less than than the plan of salvation, that eternal plan that revolves around Jesus. It's what I've often called that grand, overarching story of the Bible. Jesus is the focal point of all of the scriptures, not just the Gospels, not just his birth, ministry, death, and resurrection. All of the Bible is about Jesus. and It all tells from beginning to end one story, how God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, that you may be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. But the Old Testament saints never saw Jesus. They only looked forward to him. I want you to think about that a little bit today and think about it in this context of Peter's question. How do you, or the question I've posed about what Peter says? How do you believe in one you've never seen? Well, the Old Testament saints and the Old Testament prophets never saw Jesus, but they believed in him. And Peter was writing to those who had not seen Jesus and never would. He's writing to us. But he uses the example of those who lived before Jesus, those who also had never seen Jesus. You could say of the Old Testament believers, though they did not see Jesus, they loved him. Though they did not see him, they believed in him. How could they do that? It's because God was revealing the gospel to them beforehand. He was telling them of Jesus before he was ever born or ministered. He inspired the Old Testament prophets to speak of Jesus. As I said, Peter doesn't use that word, but The rest of Scripture does. Paul uses it as he writes to Timothy. He says there that God breathed or God inspired all of Scripture. That word inspired literally does mean God breathes. That's a good way to think about what the Lord did in the Old Testament. Well, all of Scripture really. I'm focusing here on the Old Testament. God breathed into the human authors exactly what he wanted to be written. Now, there are dozens of authors, human authors in the Old Testament, uh, 40 throughout all of Scripture, but there is ultimately just one divine author, and that author is God through his Holy Spirit. In the second letter, Peter will say it this way. In 2 Peter 1.20, knowing this first that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, or literally carried along by the Holy Spirit. And not only were they carried along by the Holy Spirit, But Peter says that the prophets of old inquired and searched carefully into these things that God was revealing to them. That means they weren't casual about their work. They understood that God had given them a weighty, glorious responsibility. They were God's heralds sent by him to proclaim the gospel of salvation. It's very tempting sometimes to look at the Old Testament and say, "Oh, here's a here's a record of history." And you read it as if you're reading a history book for a class at OSU. And it might come across as dry and boring. But that's not what God was giving them to do. There is history that is involved. There is wisdom literature, there is prophecy, but it is all anticipating Jesus in some way. Now, certainly there is not the same clarity in the Old Testament prophets as we have today. It was anticipatory. That's why the Old Testament prophets were saying, God, what what do you mean by this? They were longing to know more. In fact, there are times when the prophets literally do that. If you want to read about that, You can look at Daniel chapter 10 and chapter 12, where Daniel sees visions of what the Lord is doing and he says, God, although I hear, I do not understand. My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? He was longing to know more. He was inquiring of God what it was that was being revealed to him. Well, this is that sense of longing to know the Christ longing to know what God was promising. And in this, we begin to see certain aspects about the writing of all of the Bible. When I speak of inspiration, you might think especially of the times when God dictates what is written. There are times where the Bible says, Thus says the Lord. And the Bible records exactly what God says. It's dictation, word for word. But more often, God uses, uses the, the personality, uses the education, style, and circumstances of the different human authors. And you can even detect that. When David writes, there's a certain style, there's a certain circumstance that comes through. And it's different from Moses and different from Isaiah. And you can you can detect those things. But remember that the spirit was inspiring them. The spirit was carrying them along. That, uh, that phrase that Peter uses in a second letter has sometimes been described as the sail of a sailboat that is filled with the breath of God that moves the authors to write exactly what God wants. Uses the characteristics, the personalities of the human authors, but the message is exactly what God wants to be written. Because of this, we, we read the Bible, we listen to the Bible, because it is God's word. It comes from him through those human authors. The fact that the Lord worked through many different authors and and it was recorded over many, many years and yet still has a consistent message. This gives us confidence in what is recorded. Confidence that it is indeed God's word and we approach it that way. And so once more... Th- Drawing in that second letter of Peter, Peter says, You do well to heed this word as a light that shines in a dark place. Though you do not see him, you believe based on the inspired word of God. The Old Testament writers were inspired. So let me develop now what I've alluded to already, that the scriptures speak of Jesus, and that all of scripture speaks of Jesus. Here, I'll i uh, will refer to the title of David Murray's book, Jesus on Every Page. Now, I want you to think of, of all of scripture that way, that it is that one overarching story that's all about Jesus. So listen again to what Peter said. They proclaimed the grace to come. And verse 11 says that they were searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who is in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So here, uh, Peter is speaking about the, the scriptures that the New Testament believers had. They just had the Old Testament at that point. The Lord was recording the Gospels through the disciples, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the histories and the letters that look back on the work of Jesus Christ to explain it. Remember that pattern? There's a foretelling of what would happen. There's a record of what did happen. And then the Lord through, uh, through the New Testament explains what, what had happened. And in a sense, Peter is doing that. He says, this is what the Old Testament is about. This is what we are about now, telling and explaining what Jesus came to do. In a sense, Peter was just passing on what he had learned from Jesus. That's appropriate, isn't it? <laughs> Peter, who walked and talked with Jesus, who saw the crucified Lord, who also witnessed the resurrection and ascension, was declaring what the scripture was about. It's all about Jesus. Beforehand, before his death, Jesus told his disciples this very thing. In John 5, 39 He is actually confronting the Pharisees when he says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify about me. See, he was chastising the Pharisees for the blinders they had on. They were searching the scriptures thinking that by their external obedience to the law that they could be saved, but they missed what the scripture was all about. It was all about Jesus. You search the scriptures, but they're about Christ. And then I read from Luke 24 today, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to the two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. They... uh, they, they talked about the recent events of the coming of a great prophet, Jesus, the one they hoped that was going to bring them redemption, but he died on the cross. But now the tomb was empty. And do you see what Jesus does then? He begins in the Old Testament to explain to them all that they had just seen. The Old Testament speak of the coming of Jesus Christ. And in a fascinating way, Luke says that in Jesus' words that he told about the necessity of the suffering of Jesus and the glory that would come. And that's what, uh, what Peter says here. That the Old Testament believers were carried along by the Spirit of Christ, that's the Holy Spirit, they were carried along by the Spirit of Christ who is in them, indicating beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. This is exactly what Jesus did in his resurrection and as he preached the gospel from the Old Testament to those disciples on the road to Emmaus. So what Peter is saying is that Though they had not seen him, the Old Testament saints, the Old Testament prophets spoke of the coming of Jesus. They believed that he would come. They prophesied about the details of his sufferings, of his resurrection, of the glories that would follow. like the way that uh, another commentator puts it, he says that even though the prophet's Ministry was long before the fact. Peter depicts them as pointing not to an undefined messianic figure, but specifically to Jesus Christ. Christ is a name that Peter uses, not as a title, but as a personal name. And he writes as if the prophets viewed matters in the same way. They knew Jesus. They proclaimed Jesus. They believed in him. What did they know? We can go back to the Old Testament to know that Jesus would come. He's proclaimed right at the very beginning, Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. They knew that Jesus would come. They knew that Jesus would suffer. Think of Psalm 22 that we've been singing today. They knew that Jesus would be glorified in a kingly splendor. Look at Psalm 68, Psalm 145, which is our offering psalm. They knew that the sufferings would come first and then glory would follow. They knew the who, but they didn't know the when or the how. And so they inquire, they long for it, they search into it. Though they did not see him, they believed based on what God had revealed to him, revealed to them. Today, living in the greater light of the revelation of Jesus, though you have not seen him, believe on him. Believe into him based on the inspiration of God's word. That's Peter's exhortation and mine as well. Well, Thirdly, I've uh, pointed to the Old Testament, but now let's think of the entirety of Scripture. God has given you the entire Bible so that you might believe in Jesus. This comes as Peter goes on to say that this Glorious message had been revealed to the prophets of the Old Testament not merely for their day. They revealed it for Peter's day as well, and for all of those following after Peter. They and then Peter revealed these things for us, for the church in every age. By the inspiration of the Spirit of Christ, the Old Testament prophets proclaimed what would happen. The Gospels then record what did happen. Then Peter and the rest of the disciples, the apostles, joined together to explain what had happened. They report and apply the things that Jesus had taught them. The very things that the Holy Spirit carried them along in recording. I want you to think here about what happened after the resurrection. Think of how Jesus appeared to his disciples. He demonstrated his body, the resurrection. He reminded them of what he had been telling them beforehand. And then Jesus breathed on them. He gave them the Holy Spirit so that they would remember, so that they would teach and preach and write this precious gospel that we have now. And then he commissioned them. We often think of the Great Commission as Jesus motivating us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But I want you to hear it in this light of the Lord inspiring what the disciples, the apostles would write and teach. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. What was it that they were commissioned to teach? It was what Christ had done, what he had taught them. They reflect back on that and explain it and apply it and exhort us in it. That's what all of scripture is doing. It is all about Jesus. It's all about the gospel. And we live in that greater light of the coming of Jesus and its explanation to us by his authorized record keepers and and writers of the New Testament. Well, the cumulative effect is to Give us that clearest revelation of Jesus Christ. And I pray that it presents to you a way to read and understand the Bible. I want to give you just a, uh, several exhortations about that. Uh, to know God, read the Bible. Uh, hopefully, that's one of those, those exhortations that you might say, duh. Well, of course, that's the way we know God. But it needs to be said. There are other approaches that people take thinking that they would know God that are cut off from God's word. Well, to know God, read the Bible. To know Jesus, read the Bible. The scriptures speak of him. Angels long to look into these things. You long as well. Know God. Know Christ by reading the Bible. To know God to read the Bible depending upon his Holy Spirit would be the second exhortation. Read the Bible depending on the, on the Holy Spirit. We depend on him because all of the scripture is inspired. And there's a confidence that comes because of that. That's part of our dependence. We know that it's, it, it, it is coming from God. It's marked by the Spirit. But then ask the Spirit to help you to understand it. If the Old Testament writers inquired, if angels longed to look into this, then I, I urge you to have that same eagerness and to go to the source. If there's something you don't understand, ask God's Spirit to help you to understand it. Read and and ask others to, to help you to understand it, but depend upon the Holy Spirit. Third, to know Jesus, read the Old Testament, not just the New. And read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. Remember that pattern. Telling what's going to happen, recording what did happen, explaining what had happened. And read the Old Testament knowing that progressive revelation throughout all of redemptive history that hinges on Jesus. Read all of it to learn of the great redemption that God has prepared and revealed to us. Fourthly, to know God, read the Bible to know him. I'm underlining to know him. By this I mean read it with attention, read it as coming from God's mouth. Don't read it as a curiosity, as a novel, as a history, as, a, as, as, a, as something that is divorced from your life. Read it to know him, read it purposefully that way. It was, rec- it was recorded so that you may know him. And knowing that purpose, read it so that you would know him. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All of scripture is given for that purpose. that You may know him. And finally, to know God, read it as having value for you today. Read it as having value in whatever circumstance, and especially knowing Peter's setting, read it to know him as having value in your suffering. Yes, God is with you in your suffering, and though you do not see him, you love him, and you know that through his word. You experience that through his word. The Old Testament prophets told that Christ's ministry included suffering and glory. And Peter and the New Testament apostles say the same, and Jesus taught the same. Until he comes again, the Christian walk is one that involves suffering and glory. As you suffer, as you go through this life, remember that Christ is with you. And remember that you may know him and know that he is with you by reading God's word. I'll close with that exhortation once more. Having not seen him, love him, believe in him based on the inspired word of God. May God give you grace to do so. May God fill you with his spirit to do so. Amen. Let's pray. Lord our God, we do come to you depending uh, on you to reveal yourself, to reveal yourself truthfully in your word. We ask, oh God, that you would carry us along by your spirit. You've promised that you would give your spirits to the disciples to record your word, and you've promised that you would dwell within us to understand it to open our eyes to these great, profound mysteries. Lord, may we long for that. May we thirst for it. Lord, we long to know you, to be known by you, to love you. We find that in your inspired word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's sing again from Psalm 22. Remember, these are words about Jesus, about our Redeemer. And having meditated on his crucifixion and suffering, there comes glory. And in this portion of Psalm 22, we will sing of that glory. We will praise him, our, our resurrected and ascended Jesus Christ, who did suffer, was raised again and has entered into the throne room of, of God on high. Let's stand and sing Psalm 22d.